Bible. Good morning, good morning. How are we? All right, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you need a Bible, if you just want to to slip your hand up, we've got uh, Mike in the back. would love to come and bring you one and uh, let you use that. Uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna jump in today. Uh, we kind of have, uh, this is a bit of a tough text that we're going to be dealing with today. You know, last week I was kind of thinking, uh, I was kind of thinking, what if we skip these verses? I wonder if anybody would notice. And, um, you know, this is why it's important, it's important for us to understand that when Paul writes in 2 Timothy, when he says, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable, that he really means that the entire Bible is God-breathed. It's God's word. And uh, this is, this is uh, the benefit of, of teaching through an entire book or an entire section of the Bible because it forces us to look at some rather difficult texts. Texts that we may choose to skim over, that we may choose to not pay much attention to. Uh, the reality is we can't just pick and choose good and easy texts that will be like a kind of a pep rally that we can have just for Christians and we can feel good. Now we actually have to deal with some of the hard topics uh, in, in the Bible. So... Um, we believe the Bible is revealed word of God. The Bible is, is all about God. The Bible is all about what he has done. It's about uh, what we, uh, uh, who God is. It's about what God has done and about what we are supposed to do in response to who he is and to what he has done. So we don't want to shy away uh, from difficult passages. We want to jump right in and ask God to speak to us and to give us clarity into what his word says. So with that, let's read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. It says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold and, or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was born first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. If they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. That is God's word for us today. <laughs> Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have that, that Lord, that you care enough about us that you have spoken to us. And uh, God, I pray as we look at this passage, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would put out the distractions. Uh, Lord, I pray, um, even as sometimes we, sometimes we have a hard time opening up your word because we say, God, this is hard. So God, I pray that you would meet us in that spot. God, as, as, as the, the Father said, Lord, uh, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Lord, I pray for us that you would help us in our unbelief, that we would have a firm belief that in your word. God, we love you and praise you and just ask for, for clarity and for your spirit to be with us today. Amen. Well, what we need to understand about this passage is this passage uh, in 1 Timothy, it doesn't appear out of nowhere. It's not this standalone passage in the middle of this book. It, it fits in the context. And as we look at this passage, we have to understand that it is in context of what came before it and, and what comes after it. And so the last couple of weeks we've learned. Now, I know when we're, we're reading this, we see these chapters and these verse divisions. We say, well, it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like it fits. It seems like this is separate little passage. But we have to understand that chapters were added until the 12th century 
into our Bibles. And the verses weren't added to our Bibles until the 16th century. And so while we look and we see these divisions in the book and even head t- headings and different things, those were added at a later date. God's Word, this book is just one big letter. And so this text isn't just a little separate spot all by itself. It's tied to what comes before it and what comes after it. Last week, we saw what came before. We saw that God's desire is for the salvation of all people. We saw that was God's desire for, for all people, is that they would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And we said the truth was that there is one God, and there is, how many mediators? One mediator between God and man, that is a man, Christ Jesus. We saw that as a people, as a church, that we are to be a people of prayer and that we're to be about praying for all people. And so that is a context of what comes before this passage. Uh, but this text is also tied into what comes after. And what we're going to see next week in chapter 3 is Paul begins talking about the quali- qualifications for overseers, for elders, for pastors. You see, these three terms overseers and pastors and elders, they're, they're used interchangeably in the New Testament. And so when we see this word elder, it also refers to a pastor or an overseer. And so Paul is going to talk about elders and talk about their responsibilities and talk about their qualifications. There are actually qualifications for leaders within the church. Can you imagine that? And so Paul is going to lay out what the responsibilities and what the qualifications are right after this. And so we know that this passage right here ties into what comes before and what comes afterwards. So this passage, what I've titled, The Church and All Its Gender, it starts out with a couple of specific charges or specific calls to action for both men and women. And then Paul is going to deal with an issue of leadership within the church. So we'll start looking at verse 8. It starts out with an emphasis on the men. I mean, this is God's order. To deal with the men first. God created Adam first and then Eve. So we're going to look at men first. Let's look at verse 8. Paul writes and says, I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So here's the problem with most men. Here's the problem with most men. Most men are doers, right? Most men are fixers. Right? I mean, this is our nature. This is not saying it has, this isn't a gender issue. This is just by nature. Men, we're typically fixers and doers. Are you guys that saw, saw the video? Uh, it's not about the nail. Uh, anybody seen that video? If you have not, go home and, and click on YouTube and, and search for it's not about the nail. Because this really fits about what men are. Men are fixers. Men want to fix things. And so Paul says, Paul says this though. He says, I want men everywhere. That means men, whether you were here whether we are at home, whether we're at work, whether we're in our car, whether we're at our school, whether we're at the gym. He says, I want men everywhere to lift holy hands in prayer without anger or quarreling. You see, men, his charge to us is that we are to use our hands to pray. Men, we are to use our hands to pray. Now, now most, most men are going to sit there and say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to lift my hands I mean, men, when we have a problem, the first thing we want to do is we want to fix it, right? I mean, we have an issue. We're doers. We want to be about fixing the problem, you know? And, and so we don't want to stop and lift our hands in prayer. No, we just want to go do our thing. But look at this. When we lift our hands, who is it that we're pointing to? We're pointing to the mediator. When we lift our hands, we're, we're, we put our hands up, we're, we're pointing to the mediator. And men, we're saying, we're saying our hope 
our faith, our, our trust, our past, our present, our future. When we put our hands up, we're saying all, it's all writing on Jesus. It's all writing on our mediator. So that's what the Bible says to us men. That when it's time to pray, we're to raise our hands. When it's time to sing and worship, we're to raise our hands. And we're supposed to acknowledge, hey God, this is really your battle. So men, lift holy hands. Men, are your hands holy? How many of you would naturally say, my hands are just really holy and pure and clean? See, I don't think many of us would say that. I don't think many of us would say, hey, we've got these clean, perfect, holy hands. We never do anything wrong. See, but the thing is, Jesus died on the cross for our sin. He rose from the grave to forgive our sin. And because of the cross, because of what Jesus did on the cross, our hands have been washed by him. And, and, and because of Jesus, not because of ourselves, not because we're so great, not because we have all the answers, not because we've done all the right things, because of Jesus, because of Jesus, we have holy hands and we can lift our hands up. And you'll say, well, 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 I sinned yesterday. Well, well, I sinned this morning. And you know what God would say? God would say, repent and get your hands back up. Repent, get your hands clean, and get your hands back up. So Paul says, pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. Men, do we argue? Some of you say, no. Yeah, there's the point exactly. Men, uh, when you are frustrated... When you are annoyed, is your first instinct to pray or is it to argue and, and yell and get angry? I mean, if I asked this question to your wives, what would your wives say about you? I mean, that's where we'll get some true honesty, right? Men, if we were to take our words and we were to put our words into two piles, we have one pile over here, and this pile is all of the words that we use that we're arguing and we're debating and we're yelling and we're getting angry. And then we have another pile over here for all the words we use in prayer. Which pile's going to be bigger? Right? Men, we naturally tend to fall onto this side. Because naturally, we want to fix whatever's wrong. We want to do our own thing. We want to solve the problems ourselves. But Paul is saying, you know what? Here's the deal, men. Without anger, without quarreling, without fighting, lift your hands up in prayer. Paul is saying, men, we have a propensity to argue and to fight, and we forget to pray. So Paul's saying, no, without the anger, without fighting. I want men to raise holy hands in prayer. This is how we are supposed to live. Men, this is how we are supposed to lead. This is how we're supposed to fight the good fight that Paul talked about in chapter 1. Dads, dads, you know how we should pray? We should pray with one hand on our kids and one hand up to the mediator. You want them to see, you want your kids to see that you raise holy hands in prayer to the mediator on their behalf. Husbands, this is how you should pray. You should put one hand on your wife and put one hand up to the mediator. Saying, God, I need you to help me lead. I need you to help me be the husband I'm supposed to be. Men, do me a favor. I know we're at church. We're supposed to just sit and listen. But do me a favor, men. I want you to lift your hands up. All men in here, boys, lift your hands up. Raise your hands to the mediator. 
and acknowledge that your faith and your trust and your past and your present and your future, it all is riding on Him. It doesn't rely on us. It relies on Him and Him alone. You young men here, it takes a real man to hold this posture. It takes a real man to hold this posture and acknowledge to God that it doesn't depend on us, but it depends on you. Put your hands down for a sec, guys. Imagine, just imagine what God could do through us if we just took our hands that God gave us and we used them for his glory. Imagine if we went and we worked our jobs and we made money that we used for God's glory. Imagine if we used our hands and raised them up to God in prayer instead of being clenched in anger. Imagine if we used our hands to embrace only our wives. Imagine if we used our hands in the way that God said to. Imagine the kind of impact that we would have on our families. Imagine the kind of impact that we could have in our community right here if us men would just use our hands the way that God is telling us to use our hands. Can you imagine the difference that we can make? Could you imagine how this would change if we used our hands the way that God said to? God could change our families. God could change our community. We are in a fight. And Paul says we're to fight the good fight of faith. And this is how we do it. We do it by lifting our hands and praying to our mediator. This is how we fight the good fight of faith, men. This is where our strength comes from. It comes from our mediator. So that's Paul's charge to the men. To lift our hands in prayer. But now let's look at Paul's charge to the ladies. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, Likewise also, the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Ladies, your looks matter to God. How you dress matters to God. God cares what you wear. To understand these verses, to understand this context, we need to understand a little bit about the culture in the city of Ephesus during this time. See, way back then, uh, Ephesus was filled with all sorts of sexual immorality. In fact, they had this, they had this temple called uh, um, Artemis. Um, it was a temple for the Greek god Artemis. And, and every night what would happen is there was cult prostitutes who would come out from the temple and they'd be wearing all sorts of ornate things. They'd be wearing all sorts of, 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 of skimpy things. And the, and the cult prostitutes would come out and they would and try and entice the men and seduce the men. And they would try and draw attention to themselves so they could have the men come and worship them. And Paul is saying, it's not supposed to be like that with Christians. It's not supposed to be like that. He's saying, do not dress in a way that draws attention to your physical beauty. Paul uses these three words. He uses the words respectable, modest, self-control to describe the way that women are supposed to dress. But that doesn't mean that this is the way that these women were dressing. Obviously, he's addressing an issue. So the women are dressing the opposite of this. Now, we may not have the Temple of Artemis here in Yakima, but, but, but we still have, our culture has become extremely loose with, with, what it come, with what women decide to wear. 
I mean, tight clothes, low necklines, short skirts, short shorts. I mean, these are things that are common practices in most women's lives. We see this all around our culture. We see women and young ladies wearing this. And Paul addresses a second matter of dress as well. He talks about braided hair and gold and pearls and costly attire. See, not only were women dressing in a way that would draw attention to themselves, but they also were dressing with this braided hair and this gold and this pearl and these, this fine jewelry. And, and, and what these women were doing is they were, they were highlighting their distinction between the wealthy and the poor. As they dressed in these nice clothes and they dressed with the jewelry, it was highlighting within the church, hey, we are the wealthy ones and you are not the wealthy ones. And it became an issue of class and it began separating and creating division in the church from those women who had these nice things and those women who didn't. So what's happening here in Ephesus is that there's all these ladies, and, and they're getting all dressed up. They're getting the hair done. They're, they're, they've got the pearls, the jewelry, the bling-bling. And, and all of a sudden, nobody's paying attention to the message of Jesus. All of the sudden, the, the, the gospel, the, the, the message of Jesus is becoming secondary to the show of all these women dressing up and, and getting all this stuff on. It's kind of like, like Joan Rivers. You guys know who Joan Rivers is, right? You know, uh, if you ever listen to Joan Rivers, have you ever actually heard her talk about who wins an award? No, she's always talking about, well, so-and-so is dressed like this, and she looks really put together. And I mean, I mean, Joan Rivers, you never actually hear her talking about awards. You only hear her talking about the way people look, right? I mean, it's kind of it's like that kind of thing. The, the, the church in his day had gone from hearing the message about Jesus to being all about the show. I want to say this. We believe that God created everything. And what did God make last? Women. God saved the best for last, right? God. <laughs> I got a couple amens from that one. God created women beautiful and glorious. But men, men, what are we? What are we? We're visual. We are visual. Ladies, men are visual. Fathers, you know this. You've been in the locker room. You've heard the way that guys talk. You've opened up any men's magazine and what are you going to find? doesn't matter if the men's magazine is about power tools or sports or, or, or computer electronics. There's always going to be a half-naked picture of a woman in the magazine, right? Because men are visual. Men are visual. Statistically, 9 out of 10 men struggle on a varying degree with lust. 9 out of 10 men struggle with a varying degree of lust. Some not so much, some overwhelmingly. And yes, it is a man's responsibility to be pure and the rise. Men, we don't ever get off the hook. But ladies, ladies, do not put a stumbling block in front of us. Do not become a stumbling block for us men. Don't help us guys fall into temptation to seek attention on yourself. I'm not saying you've got to wear sweatpants every day. I'm not saying that when you wake up, just cut a hole in your bedspread and put that on. I'm not saying that's what you've got to do. <laughs> wives, wives, your husbands want you to dress and be attractive. We want you to be attractive. But there is a difference between dressing attractively and dressing to attract. There is a big difference between dressing attractively 
and dressing to attract. Paul says to dress in a matter that is respectable in modesty with self-control. He says you can dress nice and still be respectable and still be modest. Single ladies, young ladies, don't confuse attention with affection. We want affection. God wired it within us that we desire affection. We want to be cared for. We want to be desired. That is built inside of us. That's not a bad thing. But there is a difference between attention and affection. There is a difference between attention and affection. And you need to know the difference. And don't settle for less than that. Don't cheapen the beauty that God has given you by handing out free samples. Don't feed into the lust that already lives in men. Don't be a contributor to that. Paul says, he says, instead of dressing immodestly for attention, he says, adorn yourselves in respectable apparel with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Don't miss this. Paul says, dress yourselves instead of of immodestly. Dress yourselves in good works. See, when you look in the mirror, don't just look to see how my body looks. Don't just look to make sure your outfit looks together. He says, look for good works. Ladies, don't be known for your body. Be known for your character. Be known for your diligence, for your hard work, for your trustworthiness. I mean, this is what matters most, right? Look for the fruit of your relationship with God. You want to clothe yourself in a way that draws attention to God. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I read one pastor this week who was talking uh, to a couple women in his church. And one of the women came up to him and, and said, Hey, pastor, why is it that I always seem to attract the wrong kind of guy? Pastor, I always attract the wrong guy. Why is it? And pastor said, Well, simply, you've got the wrong wardrobe. Simply, you've got the wrong wardrobe. You're dressing for attention. If you want genuine affection, if you want to be loved for who you truly are, dress yourself in good works. Because that will attract the right kind of guy. (laughs) Can we be done? (laughs) Anyone need a break? (laughs) Half time? Anybody else want to come up and finish? (laughs) Uh, It just keeps going. It just keeps going. Um, These... (laughs) These uh, these next verses are some of the most controversial verses in the Bible. And uh, so we're just going to... Go ahead, long into him, and say, God, would you speak to us? Uh, verse 11 says, Let a woman learn quietly with all, submissive, with all submissiveness. Let a, learn, let a woman learn. This seems like a simple statement, but this was a big deal back then. See, women in that culture, they, uh, they had a very low view of women. Women were not considered to be citizens. Women, typically, if they were in public, they weren't allowed to speak in public. A woman would not be able to give a testimony in court. They had a low view of women. In fact, uh, in India, the teaching of reincarnation uh, back in that day was that bad people, when they were reincarnated, they would become dogs. They would come back as dogs. Really bad people, they would come back as spiders. And really, 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 really bad people would come back as women. Plato, the great Greek philosopher, he's quoted as saying, I thank the gods that I am a Greek and not a barbarian. 
I thank the gods that I am a freeman and not a slave. And I thank the gods that I am a man, not a woman. You see, they had a very low view of women. But when Jesus came, when Jesus came, he destroyed all of that nonsense. Think about the experience that Jesus has. Think about the story, stories from the Bible about Jesus. Think about Jesus reaching out to the woman at the well. That was forbidden in his day. Think about Jesus uh, uh, forgiving the woman caught in the act of adultery. Think about Jesus healing the woman with the issue of blood. I mean, as we read through the New Testament, we see that it is women who first came to the tomb and found out that Jesus had been resurrected. You see, Jesus made women a vital part of his ministry. He elevated the dignity of women around him. So Paul is affirming this. Paul, by saying this, he's affirming that women are allowed to learn about God for themselves. He's given the affirmation that Jesus had about women. They can learn, and they can grow, and they can be disciples. You see, even in the church, women were, were, were prevented from learning and going further in the relationship with God. But Paul is saying that being a disciple of Jesus is a matter of gender. Both men and women are able to learn and to follow Jesus and be discipled. And Paul says here, he says that it must take place in an atmosphere of quietness and in full submission. Now don't jump on my back for this word submission. Uh, this doesn't mean that a woman is to be utterly silent, but it, rather it means that she is to have a peaceable spirit. Paul uses the same word in Titus chapter 2, verse 2, talking about men. That men, we as well, should have a peaceable spirit. This is not discriminating against women. But apparently, there was an issue in Ephesus uh, where the women were being loud during church. They were arguing, they were debating, they were disagreeing. So Paul is saying, hey, you can learn, but you've got to have a respectful attitude if you're going to learn. And this transcends just men and uh, just women. It goes on to men as well. And this leads to our last point. Men and women are created equal, yet we have different roles. Verse 12 says this. It says, I do not permit, permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. She is to remain quiet. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable. I know. Anybody have this verse as their life verse? I mean, when we watched the Super Bowl, did we see this in the end zone? I mean, no, nobody puts this verse in the end zone at the Super Bowl, right? Now, as we come and look at this verse, there are three ways to interpret this verse. The first way is an egalitarian view. What this position says is what Paul really means. What Paul really means is that women should teach and have authority over a man. Huh? Do you see that? It holds the view that women can be partners in every area of ministry, that there are no gender distinctions for any office, that, that men and women can both serve as elders and pastors. That's the first view. The second view is a uh, hierarchical position. This is a hyper-conservative position. This is a view that women can never speak in church. Women can't lead anything within the church. Women can't teach a class. Women shouldn't be visible. They shouldn't be on the platform. They have a very low view of women. There's a third view, a middle or moderate view called complementarian. <laughs> and that is the position that we hold. We would say that men and women are partners in every area of ministry. 
but that only men can occupy the, the office of an elder, as 1 Timothy states. Now, to help us understand this, this word authority in verse 12, and the original, it's, called, it's this word authentel, and it's only used once in the Bible, and it's referring to a specific authority as opposed to a general authority. It's referring to a specific authoritative role that women are prohibited from. It's not any authority. There is a specific role that they're talking about right here. Remember earlier how I said that when we understand these verses, we have to understand them in light of what comes before and what comes after? Well, with Paul describing the qualifications for the role of elder, starting in the next couple of verses, we would conclude that the authority that Paul is speaking here in verse 12 is that the role of an elder. Paul is saying that he doesn't permit a woman to have the authority as an elder or a pastor. He does not permit them to teach. This doesn't mean that he's saying you can't be present. This doesn't mean a woman can't serve in in, in leadership in a business world, but he's saying specifically in the church, the role of elder and pastor is reserved for men. And, And it says, and he does not permit a woman to teach. Well, let's clarify what Paul is saying when he says a woman can't teach. Titus 2, in Titus chapter 2, tells us that older women should teach younger women. So women are supposed to teach. It uh, it can't be a declaration that women can't teach at all. In Acts chapter 18, there's a story of a woman named Priscilla and her husband Aguila. And um, um, and, and they disciple this dude named Apollos. So we know that a husband and a wife, they can have people over and they can disciple them and they can teach them. Proverbs talks repeatedly about how we are to teach our children the things of the Lord. So the teaching that Paul is describing here is specifically the teaching of an elder. This would be setting final doctrine for a church. What does that mean? It means that a woman can teach anything she likes in this church. We would hold the view that a woman can teach anything she would like within this church as long as she's qualified. We'd have that same expectation for men as long as they're qualified. Except for setting doctrine as an elder. And filling the pulpit. A woman can teach a Bible study. That she can teach a class. She can lead a small group. She can teach a seminar. She can teach men, women, children. The only thing that we see restricted in this text, in this text is the office of an elder. And one of the reasons that this text becomes so difficult is people want to say, well, Paul is chauvinistic. Paul's just chauvinistic trying to keep the women down. But remember, Jesus did more. Jesus said more. And Jesus has given more value to women than anyone else in all of history. More than anyone else in all of history, Jesus has elevated the dignity of women. And, and, and think about this. Think about this. If you were to go to any culture that does ha- not have the witness of Jesus Christ, that does not have the witness of Christianity, and you look at how the women are treated, think about it. Think about it. Think about any culture that does not have the witness of Jesus and look at how their women are treated. Now, we live in a society that has had widespread Christian influence for a couple of hundred years, so we think this is the norm, but it's not. Because of Jesus, wherever his influence has gone, the care and the concern for women has been greatly liberated. Let me throw caution to you men out there. Don't be chauvinistic about this passage. It's not about sexism. It's not about women doing whatever we, man, whatever we want them to do. It's about authority. It's about authority. The reality is we all live under authority. Men, don't use this passage as leverage. That's sinful. I'll call you out right now. That's sinful to use this passage as leverage. 
A man who repeatedly has to say, submit to me, submit to me, is the same man who struggles with being under the authority of God's word. Some people raise the question and say, well, this is just a cultural passage. This passage is only dealing with Paul and and the church in Ephesus in Paul's day. But Paul is going to make the case that this transcends culture. He's going to look back at creation in verse 13. He's saying this isn't a specific culture issue. This is a part of the order that God, uh, the, the order of God when he put to motion everything during creation. Verse 13 says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. We, we say, well, what does that mean? We wonder, we read this and wonder, well, what does that mean? Why, why does Paul say this? Well, within the biblical culture, the connection of the firstborn was a huge issue. The, being the firstborn was a big deal. The firstborn had the responsibility for the rest of the family. They had, they had the primary responsibility. So God made Adam first. Established him as the head, as the leader, as the first. He was responsible for creation. And then came Eve. So that society, or if you are from any Eastern or Far Eastern culture, the oldest child has responsibility of the rest of the children. They're responsible for the rest of the children. Um, uh, here, Adam was made first, so he's got the responsibility for the rest of the family. He was made first, and God made him first for a reason. Verse 14, <laughs> verse 14 says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. It just keeps getting better. Oh. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, if you look back in Genesis chapter 3, the story of creation, uh, the serpent was, was more crafty than any of the animals that the Lord God had made. I remember the story about the serpent. The serpent came and tempted Eve and said, Eve, God really didn't say you can't eat of this tree. And, and she said, well, yeah, he said we can't do this and that. And, and the serpent ends up deceiving Eve. You know, the, the, the serpent was so crafty and so cunning. Some of you don't believe in Satan. There, there are people that don't believe that Satan is real. That just shows how crafty he is. He's so crafty that he's gotten us to disbelieve in his existence. That there is an enemy out there. And he comes, the serpent comes to who? He comes to the woman. It's interesting, Adam was made first. Adam is the established leader in creation. The woman was created to help him. And Satan circumvents circumvents Adam and goes straight to Eve. I mean, isn't that what he still does today? So Genesis 3, 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to his eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and ate, and also gave to her husband, who was, where was he? He was with her, and he ate also. See, Eve sins. She hands it to Adam, who was there doing what? Nothing. Adam was sitting there the whole time, watching this happen. See, there's this old Puritan proverb that says, when Adam was away, Eve fell astray. But that's not true. Adam was not away. He was sitting there on his hands doing absolutely nothing. Probably playing on his iPhone. Adam, Adam should have spoken. Adam should have intervened. He should have involved himself. Is that because he's a male chauvinist? No, it's because he loves her. He loves his wife. She's being led astray by by Satan to rebel against God. And he sits back and does absolutely nothing. And here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying Eve was tricked. She was duped. She ate first due to the schemes of of Satan. 
Adam, Adam should have raised holy hands and should have beat that serpent. But Adam didn't. Adam sinned. Eve, Eve, she was deceived. Adam, he sinned. And Paul is saying that this is what happens in the church when men fail to take their responsibility and women have to step up to the plate and try and pick up where the men have dropped the ball. This is what happens. Problems occur. And so Paul says because of the role reversal, women are not to have this particular role in the life of the church. God absolutely created men and women equal. He created both of, both of us in the image of God. But God is specifically saying, you're created equal, but you have different roles. Look at verse 15. It says, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. You ladies that are mothers out here, do you realize the high calling that God has given you to be a mom? We're not saying that the only thing that a woman can do is be a mother, but I'm saying it's a high honor to be a mother. It's equally as high as the office of an elder. Being a mother is equally as important as being an elder or a leader of the church. Not all women will bear children or raise children. Let's make this clear. Not all women are going to. But ladies, your behavior, your good works, your faith, your love, your holiness, your self-control will change a nation. It will change a nation. So what do we conclude? We've read all these verses that are awkward at best. What do we conclude? We conclude that God created men and women equal. We are equal, but yet we are different. God has given us equally important, yet different roles. They are complementary to each other, not at odds. They're equally important. You know, what is, what is the one thing that a woman can do that a man can't? Give birth. What is the one thing that a man can do that a woman cannot do? Pastor a church. They're equally important, and they complement each other. It's kind of like, have you ever tried clapping with one hand? It doesn't really work. You've got to have two. And this is what Paul's saying. They complement each other. And this is hard for you. And this is a hard text. And this rubs against everything that you've been taught. And this makes you angry. Let it be hard. But then let it be obeyed and understood because this is God's word. This is God's word. This is where I think about, I think about uh, the man in, in the New Testament who, who's, who's, who, who says, God, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. There are times that we open up God's word and we say, man, this rubs me so wrong. This makes me angry. I just, it, it rubs the way I've been taught. It rubs the way I've been raised. But you know, this is God's word. This isn't me. This is what God's word has to say. And we should open up God's word and the times that it rubs us raw, and we should say, God, would you help me to believe this? Would you help me to understand this? Would you help me to embrace this? Because this is God's word. This isn't my word. Don't shoot the messenger. This is God's word right here. God is saying, I want to do great things through both and women, both men and women. God is saying, I want to do great things through the church. But, but in order for God to do great things through the church, we need to understand what Paul has been saying in 1 Timothy. We need to be a church that prays. We need to be a church that points people to Jesus, to the mediator. 
We need, we need to be a church that is passionate and pure. And we need to be a church that has a proper order. Because if we do these things, we will be a church that God will use greatly. We'll be a people that God can use greatly. So what does this mean for you today? What does this mean for each and every one of us? Men, you should be the first to raise your hands. You should be the first to put your hands up and say, God, I surrender. God, I'm yours. Men, this should be the posture that we take. We should stop trying to argue everything. We should stop trying to do everything on our own power. And we should put our hands up because I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, men. I've known this from my marriage. When I just tell my wife, hey, this is what we're doing, and I make decisions, you know what? You know what happens? There's conflict. But when I put my hands up to God, she'll follow me in crazy ways. There's nothing that's more attractive to a woman than a man who has his hands raised up to God and surrender, saying, God, would you lead us? There's nothing more attractive to a woman than this. Men, this is our posture. Men, are we praying? You think about all the words that you share in the day. How many words do you put into prayer? And how many do you put into, well, I'm smart enough, I can just go ahead and do this. Well, I'm going to argue my case. See, we should be known as men who are like this. This is the kind of men that we should be. Women, what does your dress look like? Young ladies, what does your dress look like? Are you trying to draw attention to yourself? Are you dressing to attract? Are you dressing to be attractive? Because there's a difference. And within the church, God created men and women equal. God has equal glorious things for both of us, but they're different. And we need to understand this. And we need to embrace this and say, God, hey, we, we surrender to you. We submit to you. God, I don't understand it. God, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand it. But you know, when we think about the things we don't understand about God, I mean, even salvation is a little bit hard to understand, right? I mean, we think about culturally, we think culturally, well, no. You are, we have a, we have a system that you earn everything you get. I mean, you go to school, and, and you aren't just given a grade. You have to earn that grade. You're taught that you have to perform to receive a grade. You go to work, and we're taught that you have to perform to get a paycheck. Because if you don't perform, you're going to get fired. And so, shouldn't it be the same thing in Christianity? We have to earn, and we have to perform to receive the benefit? And God says, no, it's completely backwards. We're not cultural. We're different. Salvation is not something you earn. Salvation is given as a gift from Jesus Christ. And so we even look at Christianity and say, this, the Bible is not because of what culture says. This transcends our culture. This should define our culture. And this is the same thing with the leadership of the church. It's hard. And, 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 and we have this, this feminism that creeps in and say, well, 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 it sounds chauvinistic, but this is God's word. This is what he has. Let's value the role that women have, have been given as mothers. Men, we have a culture that doesn't value motherhood today. We have, a, we have a culture that doesn't value parenting. I mean, that's why, that's why in, in America today, uh, 
one-third, excuse me, 40% of of all kids are going to go home without a dad in the home. I mean, that is a culture that we are living in nowadays. Men, let's value motherhood. Let's value the high calling that God has given to our wives and given to women. Let's value the, 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 the creativeness that God has given to women. And let's say, hey, these are complementary. They are to serve together for God to do great things within this church, within this world. Let's pray. God, I come before you humbly saying, God, I sometimes wonder what I'm doing. God, these are hard things. God, these are hard things even as a pastor. But God, this is your word. God, I have surrendered to your word. Your word is our authority. Your word is my authority. Lord, you've called me to come and to communicate your word. God, I pray that you would help us to receive this. I pray that you would help us to understand it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to believe it. And Lord, even help us in our unbelief. These times that it becomes hard, these times that that we say it's so difficult, God, I pray that we would just surrender to you and say, God, I don't get it, but I trust. I trust. God, I pray for the men in here. God, I pray that they would surrender themselves to you. That they would be the first people to put their hands up. That they would say, God, it's all about you. And, and, And my past, my present, my future, it's all writing on you. And I pray as men have been called to lead, I pray that that is how we would lead. That we would not lead from our own strength or from our own creativity or from our own experience, but we would lead on our knees with our hands up to you, saying, God, would you, would you lead us? Would you go before us? Would you, would you pave the way for us? God, I pray for the women of this church. Lord, I pray that they would dress in modesty. I pray for these young women that they would know the difference between attention and affection. God, I pray for these women that they would dress themselves in good works. Lord, that is the most attractive thing on a woman. A woman who loves you and who has surrendered to you. God, I pray for the leadership of the church. I pray, Lord, that you would use both men and women in every part of this ministry, but you would help us to understand the the authoritative roles in which you've given each of us. God, you need both men and women in this church. If we didn't have the women in this church, Lord, we would be in trouble. And I thank you for every woman that is here who serves, who is involved, who, 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 who is a part of what we're doing. And God, I pray that you would help us to understand your order you have set us up in in equal but complementary roles. God, I thank you that you have planted this church. I thank you that you have brought every one of us here. God, I pray that as we be a church that is seeking to be obedient to, to you, that, Lord, that we would be a church that prays, that we would be a church that is pointing people to you, to our mediator, that we would be a church that is passionate and pure, that we would be a church who has a proper order, and that we would be a church that you would use greatly within the city, God, and throughout the world. God, I pray for every one of us in here today that your spirit would would speak to us, and that we would feel that connection with you that we so greatly desire. 
God, I pray that as we have this opportunity right now to respond in worship, that you would allow us to, to lose ourselves in you. That we could just close our eyes and just praise you for who you are and for what you have done. Because, God, it's all about you. It's always all about you. We ask this in your holy and perfect name. Amen.